When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So hey everybody, welcome to episode two of Spotcast. I'm Tim Mitra and I'm joined by Jaime Lopez Jr. How's it going? All right. Now we probably should start telling people that I'm in Toronto and you're in Seattle just so they get some context in terms of how far apart we are and all that kind of stuff, right? Sure. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, so I was talking to my stepson, Jonathan Kuline, about uh, about the show and, and uh, he was telling me about a podcast that he listens to where they have um, uh, they have a couple of guys talking about, you know, technology or whatever or, or, or content or, you know, and, and quoting things from the web or whatever and instead of having people yelling at their phones like we like to do on, on our other podcast what they do is they have their producer fact check all of their things that they say during the show and then at the end of the show he kind of goes beeps in and goes um guys uh such and such wrong such and such never happened such and such anyway so jonathan has offered to fact check our shows for us so now i don't know if he's going to do that like you know in an audio format or in a written format. i said he could just write, write it into the into the comment section on the website and we'll we'll uh, read out his comments on, on subsequent shows. So what do you think about that? I think that's perfect because, you know, something <laughs> like a Star Trek is definitely going to be oh, something yeah. that will, will, will cause that, right? There's, there's tons of stuff you'll see of like, well, actually, you know, yeah. this person said such and such, or it was rather embarrassing in the other episode where just in my head, I had Millennium, totally different sci-fi show in my... Oh, then Continuum, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking of Continuum, but they had the title Millennium. It was something in yeah, right? aluminum, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, so there were so many things that I, as I listened to the show i was thinking the same sort of thing like i kept thinking and i should, probably should have made notes on what i what i should correct on myself because i did make a few mistakes myself you know i always forget names and people and stuff and um you know i say oh i'm going to tell you something in a minute and then i then i just don't get around to telling you it so so those are kind of things that get missed i'm sure people will notice and hopefully they'll write comments and put ask podcast and in, in them and stuff like that right so mm-hmm. which would be good so um okay so so do we just should we do the two follow-up pieces or let's do the two follow-up pieces sounds good right Okay, so uh, you know, th- well, this is I, here's an example of, of the thing you mentioned Lurch, right? And I immediately, in my mind, I saw the Lurch from the '60s Adams Family TV show with with because we were just talking about John Aston as well, I think, right? Who would who played Gomez Adams, or, or a little bit later, I guess. The guy who played Lurch in in my uh, my Lurch, in other words, is not the same as your Lurch. And my Lurch, Ted Cassidy, also played all the sort of monsters in a lot of lot of '60s TV shows, including Star Trek. 
Trek, like in, in the, um, or I forgot the name of the episode where, uh, uh, Kirk and Nurse Chapel beam down to the planet and she's, sees her old boyfriend there and he's got this big android guy. Well, that's, that's the guy who plays Lurch. He played a lot of these sort of, you know, big, you know, tall, huge guys. I think he was like probably seven foot or whatever. Um, but that's my Lurch and your Lurch is a completely different guy than Mr. Han, as you said, I think, right on, on the next generation. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So, and it was kind of both correct. Like it, it, he is in fact a Lurch from a the Adams Family TV series. Of course, it's the 1991 series that uh, was it on TV or was it a movie? Oh, uh, maybe it was a movie. Oh, it was, maybe it was the movie. Sorry, um, I thought there was like a like a revival uh, series. There might have been. Yeah, you know that you say that it might have been a TV show. No, but but I remember was it Christina who played Wednesday Adams? I've forgotten her name. Christina something. Christina Ritchie was definitely in the movie, right. but I could have sworn that it was like an Adams Family. You know, because they they did that a lot in that 70s and 80s sort of 60s, 70s, 80s time period of like, oh, like this was the original and then now we're doing some revival type stuff. Right, right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but maybe they never actually did that on The Adams Family. That that might be one of those things to fact check too, so. Yeah, no, well, so I think, I think from what I remember, there was two Adams Family movies. There was one called Family Values where I think um, Joan Cusack tries to marry Uncle Fester who was played by Doc Brown from, because I can't remember his name, from Back to the Future. What's his name? That's right. Christopher uh, Lloyd is who you're thinking of. Christopher mm-hmm. Lloyd, yeah. Not, mm-hmm. not to be confused with Chris Lloyd, who's the, the director guy or producer guy, right? I always got those two mixed up. I didn't realize they were different people. So that's, it's kind of weird that, you know, like, again, and, and this also shows the difference in our ages, too, because, like, you know, my, like we talked about last week, my Star Trek is the 60s Star Trek, and your Star Trek is the next generation, because you were a kid when that came out, right? That's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. So, oh, well, so there's, it's it's funny how these, these things happen. Well, it, it reminds me of a story, and, and I'm sorry to my, you know, former, former sister-in-law, Jennifer, who once told my ex-wife that, oh, you got to hear this band called who put up this album called The Wall to us in like, you know, in in the early 80s, because, you know, because as if we'd never heard of Pink Floyd before sort of thing. Right. Right. Anyway, I mean, as a, as a slight tangent, you, you see people doing that nowadays where um, Kanye West and Paul McCartney did some sort of collaboration. And it escapes me as to what that was. And, you right, know, right. millennial and younger kids were like, holy smokes, like this will be really good for this Paul McCartney. Dude. I'm like, what? It's like, <laughs> this is one of the all time greats. Like if you were to like fling another golden disc out into space again and say, all right, let, let's see if any aliens find that you would definitely have Beatles and Paul McCartney content on that disc. Right. Like you may or yeah, may yeah, not put Kanye true. on there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kanye's an interesting character. I'm not really, I don't really listen to his stuff and never really been a fan of his, but per se, but yeah, he certainly, certainly gets around, you know, especially now that he's married to a Kardashian too. Right. So that can't, that can't hurt. Yeah, definitely. It's a definite power couple there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So did you have a chance to look at this uh, Alanis of Troyes uh, comparison that I put up? I did. It's about, uh, what, nine, maybe nine and a half minutes of, of uh, selected clips where they show the the side-by-side of the original series as it was presented, uh, presumably on TV. And then the, um, uh, what would you call it, HDification? No. The, the, high, the, yeah, HD version for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, or, or perhaps more accurately, like the special edition, if you think of like the Star Wars special edition yeah, trilogy. Exactly, like yeah. That's kind of what it felt like to me. Well, because to me, like you know I, I get that i get that you know everybody wants you know higher res images and stuff like that but but even watching the, like the, and i think you said you hadn't seen any of these these ones where they redone the graphics on the on the original star trek series and for high def tv right it's still uh four by three it's not, they haven't stretched it out or whatever thankfully they haven't tried to crop crop it to make it uh 16 by 9 but they've they've taken out the 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 spaceship which actually just for the 50th anniversary last year they reassembled for the smithsonian uh, uh museum in washington 
Washington, right? Because I remember, again, when I was like probably seven or eight, maybe nine, we went to Washington for a trip. Actually, what year did Watergate break? That was 73, maybe, you know? That was before I existed, and I don't remember off the top of my head. It was definitely okay, in that so, like 60s, 70s time frame. So here's a weird thing. Like, like Watergate dominated our TV lives in, in the late, in, in mid to late 70s, whenever Watergate was on TV. It was on TV for like years, right? Like you have no idea how horrible it was because my dad would, you know, mon- monopolize the living room and just watch these, you know, this live, you know, I guess history being made kind of thing uh, of, of this president being impeached. But we were actually in Washington, D.C. the weekend that Watergate broke. My sister just reminded me of that, like when the other day, I didn't, I never really made the connection. I guess it was off in the fog being a kid, right? But, but yeah, it was, that's kind of our, our connection to Watergate. But anyway, so coming back to the Smithsonian, I remember seeing Alice Cooper's, you know, boot le- leopards or snakeskin boots in the, in like some exhibit. And as well, they also had the fully constructed model of the Starship Enterprise from the TV show. Like it was like six or eight feet long, right? Mm-hmm. And um, when we did our WDevCon in 2015 and we were back down in, in uh, Alexandria and, and, and we went to the Smithsonian to sort of wander around and, you know, got to see the all the space stuff. If you're if you're into space junk, go to the Smithsonian or go to Dulles Airport because like they have, Dulles Airport has this, the shuttle Discovery and um, the Smithsonian has one of the limbs that they didn't use to go to the moon because, you know, they canceled the program after the 17th, uh, after Apollo 17. So they have one of the limbs there, like an actual lunar, you can see like it's made of tinfoil. It is actually tinfoil. Um, looks really thin and really rickety and you're like in put together with like a rivet gun by your, your, your uncle in the backyard kind of thing. That's how it looks, right? Um, but they went to space with this, right? And, you know, they have like all the capsules, they have a mercury capsules, they have like the spacesuits that the guys came back to, from to Earth with. And the thing about the Smithsonian is they when they put these things in the museum, they don't clean them up, right? So if you see, you know, Dave Scott's uniform or outfit on the, on the moon and his boots and his gloves or even Gene Cernan's boots and his gloves, they still have the moon dust on them. Like they didn't clean them up to put them in the exhibit, right? And in fact, mm-hmm. the story is that when they landed the shuttle um, and they, 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 you know, they, they decommissioned the, the shuttle Discovery and they were going to bring it over to the Smithsonian, they said, do you want us to like, you know, put it through the car wash or whatever, like the, you know, the space shuttle car wash or whatever. And the, the woman who runs the museum, I forget what the, the terminology is for her, but she said, no, 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 just bring it over as it is. And, and I, I swear when you go into that room where the space shuttle is, it, you can smell, you smell the ship. Like, you know, like, it, you, you know, it's kind of one of those things, like it's not, it's not enough to just see it in photographs, but to actually be in the room with it and see that it's just made out of like canvas and, you know, ceramic tile. It's like, how can these people risk their lives and go up into space and this stuff, which in context is kind of funny when you see like things like Star Trek and the, you know, the, the shuttle Galileo and all that kind of stuff and, and how clean and pristine they look on, um, on TV. Right. So, right. Right. So that's cool. So anyway, so this, this, uh, getting back to what we were talking about, the Atlantis is Troyes, um, uh, YouTube comparison. It's like side by side. And I, I, like I said, I don't know if you watched any of it, but, um, what I, some, there were some parts where they were showing like, you know, the, the actors interacting with each other and they had the side by side and I couldn't tell any difference. I don't know about you. Right. But of course I could tell when, when the, uh, the model was being shot. Right. So, cause I, you know, like the, the actual, the way they did the globes or, you know, the, to represent the planets and the way they had the, the space shuttle or the space shuttle sort of this, the enterprise sliding in and out of the shot or moving in another shot. I, they obviously moved the cameras like they did in subsequent things like Star Wars or Star Wars, but it wasn't as sophisticated as Star Wars. Right. Mm-hmm. But, um, it was still, it was of the time. It was of its time. I mean, and I, and again, I really object to them going in and, and getting 
getting rid of all that that really cool footage that these people shot, right? Yeah. I'm so when I watched this and I, I looked very closely at the the side by side comparisons. Uh, now, granted, I feel differently. Um, I don't necessarily disagree with it on principle, like as an artist, which I know is something that uh, is a bit of flavor you have. For me, I think some of the disagreement I had with it was there were cases where either the model, the the CGI model, um, funny enough, didn't look as good as the '60s physical model. Like there were some shots where I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah like the physical model, like it's more convincing in some uh, some of the shots that they showed because it was actually there, right? It's, it's all lit correctly. Um, now, granted, there are some parts where the CGI model looks better because they sometimes it looks like they didn't composite the original model too well. It looks like they just cut it out in a piece of paper and slapped it on the camera. Um, so there, it, it's sort of like 50-50 in, in my head. Like there were some cases where I said, well, not only did you replace the physical model with a digital model for some of the shots, um, but you also changed the composition of the shot. And, and sometimes in cases that they showed on the, the YouTube clips here, I didn't agree with the flavor that was imparted. It, it kind of felt like it changed some of the scenes, like the the scene where the they're being sort of uh, chased by a Klingon cruiser felt way different uh, just because of some of the angles that they decided to choose. For yeah, the, like the, 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 the ships were way more menacing in, in, in that particular instance. And they were like tiny little nothings on, on the in the high res version, right? Or the CGI version. Yeah. And, and even in cases where it wasn't uh, quite what you're talking about there, like in, in some of the other shots that are coming to mind, they had um, much closer bits of shots of the cruiser. It, it just, it felt like it didn't quite fit with what we were being shown where in the original 60s, like, yeah, they, they kept reusing that same shot of the cruiser. It's just kind of like a distance uh, on the view screen. Yeah, yeah. But it yeah. seems menacing of like, holy smokes, like these dudes are following us, right? This is like a, you know, a completely different movie if it was like a, a film noir movie of like a detective, like, he's like, hey, is, is somebody following me? You know, is this car tailing me? I need to lose this tail, right? Like, that's sort of what I felt from the 60s version that I think was kind of lost when they decided to go with the technical uh, aspects of the upgraded version. Right, right, right. Well, I mean, it could be, I don't know anything about the production uh, stuff because Jonathan actually has the box that I should probably borrow it from him, but, um, I mean, of the of the redone, the, the new uh, new improved version, the, the next gen, what are you calling it? Special edition, right? Um, but, like, I've, I've been watching it on, I've been listening, watching the show on, on um, Netflix, and, and they've also changed the audio channel, right? So when Kirk comes on and says, you know, these are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise, five-year mission, blah, 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 it's really tinny and really small like they've made it like it's not like it's like the the volume's like kind of really reduced you know mm-hmm. um yeah so it's it's just it's just an odd uh and and like you said there were some things that they just went way too far with in terms of i mean it's okay like subtle differences you know like they're kind of they're kind of matching the shots side by side but in some cases just they just went over the top i mean at the i mean it's like you don't go back to 2001 in space odyssey and reshoot all those shots because you know we have better technology now right you know um again <laughs> I guess that's the same argument I have with the Star Wars redo, right? Right, but, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, don't get me started on, on uh, Han Solo stepping on Jabba the Hutt's tail. <laughs> <laughs> that's another one. Yeah, so anyway, this is it's cool side-by-side. We'll put this in the show notes for people if they want to have a look at this Alanis of Troy. It's pretty long. It's like 10 minutes long, right? But actually, you know, here, here's the thing. I don't know if you can do this. I'm trying, I was trying to freeze it here. Um, for me, like, because I watched this show so often as a kid, I'm just trying to find a frame here. Like, I don't know if you can pause the thing and go frame by frame because you know when it says you know starring Leonard Nimoy and starring uh, William Shatner and they had this the the um, the ship kind of come sort of f- whipping across the screen it, it goes to the right first and then to the left first and to the right and of course in the three in the CG version they've got like a beautiful ship going 
going by, right? But I, you know, I remember watching this when I was a kid, and it kind of, it kind of sort of bothered me. But now I kind of miss it. Is the motion blurred ship going by? And I'm sure they didn't film it. Like they probably, you know, put like made it into a matte painting or something like that, and zoomed in on the matte painting with a camera to make the effect of it coming towards you, right? Um, which is kind of how they, if you look at, if you look at some of the stuff in space, like 2001 Space Odyssey, they did that as well. Like they didn't actually have a model; they actually had a cardboard cutout of the model, and they moved it towards the camera really quickly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but but this blurry, this motion blurred uh, ship. I wish I could freeze a frame here. Yeah, it's like the I just I remember the odd shape of that. You know, again, that's my artist's eye sort of seeing it too. I guess right, the odd shape of the ship as it was motion blurred and and moving towards and make you know using the camera trick to make it look like it's moving towards you, right? Um, just another small little minor thing. I'm sure people are telling me to shut up on the podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> shut up! Move on. <laughs> anyway, so that's my thing. You, you got anything else to say about uh, the Star Trek redos? No, I think it's something that people should check out. And I think, as we mentioned, uh, probably one of the maybe in the preview episode. I think if somebody was going to offer this, you know, um, like if you're Netflix oh, yeah, or Netflix, if you're Amazon yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Prime Video uh, streaming, just give people an option, right? Like, there's plenty of space here. It's not like, well, you know, we're going to make two different discs. It's like, well, clearly there are people who want to see the original untouched version, and there are people who want to yeah, see, yeah. Uh, you know, I can't stand these six these effects. I want something that's kind of in between. So just give people an option, right? Just like the Halo uh, video game that I mentioned, where they, they did like a 10th anniversary edition that let you view it in HD high res graphics and textures, and also in the original low res graphics and textures, you know, for people who had the nostalgia for it. Yeah, I guess I could, I guess I don't really have a right to complain because like I have like the Laura Croft, um, you know, Tomb Raider series that they redid, they re-rendered them for the play, play, PlayStation 4. I actually haven't gone through the games, you know, because I really don't want to play the games again, but apparently they went back and they, they you know, re-res them up for the for the better engine, right? And mm-hmm. so I have those games, so I, I really can't complain, but um, so I guess the, the Orville came out on Sunday too, right? That was the, that's the new Seth MacFarlane vehicle um, or his sci-fi adventures, I guess. Um, now, my first, my initial gut impression of the Orville, having, having just seen it on, I actually had to stream it because I couldn't, I missed the, my PVR didn't tape it for some reason, twice. Um, it's kind of like, you know, hey, I have a whole lot of money, let me make a Star Trek thing that I can be the star of. What do you think? Yeah, and and that's an interesting sort of note to have because the way that Fox promoted this show, I went into the first episode thinking, oh, this is going to be like Galaxy Quest, which has been right, rumored right. to be, you know, that they're going to make a TV series of that. I said, like, oh, somebody beat him to the punch and they just couldn't get the, the licensing or didn't want to pay for the licensing and let's make our own thing and, and go with that. And then I watched the show. I'm like, wait, this is actually more of a dramedy, if anything. Like, it's actually some serious sci-fi episode stuff with a little bit of sprinkling of family guy sort of humor here and there. Yeah, it's situation comedy for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very. And then, but like, you know, it's kind of funny because it's, it's like a sitcom in some cases, like him and his ex-wife and stuff, right? Spoilers for you if you haven't seen it. But, you know, it's kind of his, you know, I, I think the actual the setup of the show is that his ex-wife is, is going to be his first officer, right? Um, and how that kind of happened. And then his relationship with his best friend, who's like a real, has no, has no filters, right? Like he's the kind of guy that just does stuff right mm-hmm. and you know and and there's sort of a couple of weird characters in it and um i mean there's some funny bits some cool technology but and but the like the effects are like way over the top for i mean like i guess i guess now that we can do the effects the way we can do them they're super duper good right like they're they've got the whole jetsons thing going on they got you know 2001 they have all the symmetry and everything's perfectly clean there's no dirt on this in this universe that these guys live in right it's a, you know it's a little too it's too it's too polished right um in terms of the the special effects 
effects. I mean, and sometimes they're just special effects for the sake of special effects, right? Yeah. I mean, all right, so I, I know you mentioned it slightly before, but I think it'll be a lot easier for us to cover this episode if we just say, hey, look, if you haven't seen the first episode of the Orville, this is your spoiler warning here. And if you want to pause and come back, by all means. Um, so watching the episode, I think some of the early stuff was a little too clean. Like, you know, when he's, mm-hmm. I don't know, commuting his way home and, and finds right, his, yeah, his yeah. wife, uh, his then wife uh, in bed with a, a blue alien. That part looked a little too clean. But then there were other parts that I was like, yeah, no, I totally get this, right? This is this is what Star Trek would be like in terms of filmography and, and the set design and everything if it was made today instead of the 1960s, right? Because they had right, a lot yeah. of uh, clean and sort of minimalist retro sort of design back then. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was budget, though, that they did that the way they did. Well, I guess, I guess, yeah. I mean, Star Trek was sort of, of, of its time, was very sort of modern and whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and it's funny, like I said, I, I, I last week I always watch uh, TV shows and stuff like that if I'm, if I'm interested in them with my IMDb app. And of course, so on some of the episodes I watched, I actually pulled out the notes on, on that and looked at the trivia notes and about how they made the the costumes and stuff like that. And apparently the, the tunics that they wore were made in a sweatshop because they were done like overnight because they had no budget and they had to get them done real quick. So they had somebody do them like, you know, like a 24 hour rush job kind of thing. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, so I mean, they, I mean, they're passable. I mean, my wife does costume costume making for a living. And um, I remember uh, thinking like, you know, when I go to, to Fan Expo and stuff like that, some of the things that these kids make to make their costumes, like, you know, they're doing like Stormtrooper or they're doing like, you know, Queen, Queen Amidala or whatever. Um, but I saw this Star Wars exhibition in um, Seattle when I was there in 2011, I guess. And um, and I, you know, purposely went up and took close-up photos of of these things for my wife because she's interested in this kind of stuff. And uh, like they had a, a snow trooper from, from the Battle on Hoth, right? And he's like wearing a cotton work glove that you can get at the home hardware or the local hardware store. You know, what do you, what's uh, Ace Hardware? What do you have in the States? We also have uh, Ace Hardware as well. Yeah, we don't yeah. have Ace here. That's why I'm trying to find a name that, that oh. fits in your context, right? You know, like oh, the, the Home cotton. Depot. Perhaps you guys have the Home Depot or, or Lowe's. Yeah, we have the, well, the Home Depot. Yeah, yeah, the Home Despot. Yeah, we have that. And Lowe's. We have Lowe's as well, yeah, now too. But um, yeah, just like, you know, the typical, the cheap little cotton, you know, $1.99 work glove. Or like um, there's a, a, a brand of boots, like uh, I think they're called Cougar. They're like, they used to make work boots, but they also got into this making this this um, cowboy style boot. And basically what they were is, is the snowtrooper was wearing these boots, but they had been dyed white, you know, which is something my wife does all the time. And then, and if you look at the, uh, like the flourishes on the, on their, their uniforms, like their official tunics and stuff like that, they've got like these, you know, gold, uh, brand, you know, sort of like gold, um, I don't know what you call them, like, like insignia on their, their, their shoulders. Right. And on a sixties television, they look pretty cool. You've got the glitter and the glut, you know, whatever, but then you see them in high res, you know, and it's just like, Oh, it's something somebody could have just whipped up on a sewing machine kind of thing. Right. Like when you see them in, in the high res of today, like, you know, like I'm sure the com badges in, in, um, in, uh, discovery, Star Trek discovery are going to be like, you know, super polished. And, you know, I, I put a picture up on the website of, of, uh, some mock-ups of them. Right. Whereas in the, in the sixties, they were like, you know, uh, made with, they were just embroidered onto the shirts with, uh, with a machine and, uh, and just like, you know, made out of thread kind of thing. Right. So like, like a patch, like, you know, like a, like a, like a patch. Yeah. Like, you know, you know, like a patch you'd sew onto your jean jacket or something like that. Right. Sure. Or like, uh, like a high school varsity letterman's jacket that you might, yeah, uh, might yeah. have that same kind yeah. of patch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, I mean like, like real low budget, like, you know, and, and, and so it's funny that, you know, when you, when you look in bringing this around back around is when I go to fan expo and I see these kids in these homemade uniforms or, uh, that they've made up for themselves, they're as close 
close to the actual ones that were used on the, on the show as they need to be, right? So that said, um, I just the, one of the exhibits at Fan Expo was the all the costumes that the actors actually wore for the new uh, Thor Ragnarok movie coming out, right? And they look like super tight and you know all made to within an inch of their lives kind of thing, you know, um, like the helmets are 3D printed, but you you couldn't tell that they weren't 3D, like they weren't like, properly handcrafted by you know uh, what do they have up in Valhalla? <laughs> craftsmen, Valhalla and craftsmen, or whatever, right? Yeah, in the forges of Thor, you know, kind of thing. Anyway, that's uh, yeah. So, but so let's let's break down the show then, if we prefer going to do that, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. yeah, so we had the scene, we had the, the the opening piece where he finds that his and he gets apparently he just goes and bums around for a year, and you know he's you know was a promising young guy and and should have his own ship or whatever, and, and the little things like you know like well, how many ships are you outfitting? Oh, we're outfitting three thousand, and and we decided that you know you were the bottom of the barrel guy we're going to put on into this into give you one of the ships right so so he's kind of low in the in the i guess in the count of uh, 3000 uh, potential captains right right so that's that's sort of the the premise that the admiral um right gives to him and and that'll be important because again the spoiler warning uh, this will come back later in the episode um but that was how it's presented to him is like look man like we're giving you a chance largely because we got to fit you know put butts in seats <laughs> somebody yeah, war, somebody war has war to bodies, captain yeah. it right yeah yeah exactly it was like not like oh wow you did such a prestigious job is more like yeah this is kind of like your last chance yeah that's victor garber too isn't it the guy from buffy that's correct that is victor garber as admiral Halsley, according to wikipedia yeah yeah mm-hmm. so so we have tiff here in toronto right now the T- toronto international film festival and and where they on king street where they do the tiff we have our canada's walk of fame and i actually i actually saw his his star on the walk of fame yeah, a couple of days ago when i was going down to actually went going to see greg talk right so victor garber has his star on the canadian hall of, canadian hall of fame what do you know yeah so yeah so and and so the the uh, the ex wife is is an actress. She was on uh, Marvel Angel Agents of Shield. So I guess she got killed off. You know, I only saw the first season. and I don't recall her character yeah, off yeah. the top of my head. Uh, but Adrian Adrian. Adrian Lee Paliki um, is who that actress is, and she plays uh, what is her character name? Uh, Kelly Grayson, the first officer or XO, as they right. tend to say on the show of the Orville, uh, and his uh, Ed Mercer, uh, Seth MacFarlane's character's uh, ex-wife. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, like yeah. the first uh, what twenty-ish minutes are probably them setting up, like introducing the different characters, including uh, you know the captain uh, coming to the ship and meeting with the staff and finding out who they are, and then giving sort of like a little short blurb of you know what their job role is and some sort of quirky thing about them yeah and they, and they have i think they have they have um characters that that represent almost like the next generation because you know they got the the number one and they've got the uh the captain they have the guy who's from a planet where they're they're mechanoids right so he's the data character i guess right um they have the other guy who's from the planet where he's not he they're sexless so all the all the people on the planet are male and he's like the wharf character i guess right yeah that'd be um, uh peter macon as lieutenant commander Bordas, who plays a, a right. pretty heavy role in the first episode. Yeah, and then the um, heavy as in terms of like size or strength or whatever? Or? They didn't really right. present that other than you know, he's a reasonably large imposing individual and oh, his yeah, makeup yeah, yeah. makes yeah. him look sort of beefy, bigger, stocky, yeah. tough, like a Lieutenant Commander Worf. Uh, right, TNG. right. Yeah. And then they have the lady who's uh, the, the, the 26-year-old lady who's apparently an uh, alien lady who is, um, I guess, a security officer and that's sort of the Tasha Yar 
character, right? Yeah, that was interesting to sort of both be an homage to, you know, Tasha Yar, uh, the original security officer on um, TNG, played by uh, Denise Crosby, who is uh, not exactly like the biggest sort of woman. You know, she's not the size of China, uh, you know, the wrestler, for example. Right. Um, and it was interesting that they, they, they chose somebody like that with the premise being that she's from a high gravity planet. So when she's on Earth style stuff, she can do you know, very strong things as her muscles are meant for, they didn't specify, but let's pretend it's like 10 X gravity or something, or, or maybe they did say, and then that might be something to fact check. Um, yeah, I think that, yeah, I think that was what she said. I think the fact that, that their gravity is so high or whatever that, that, you know, she's a superhuman in a regular, regular type gallery or like a, a, a class M gravity, I guess. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What I meant to say. Yeah. So, and then, and then, you know, the, the story continues and they go to, they have some adventure and they fly down to a planet who's where they've invented a time ray or time bubble where, things objects in the double in the bubble <laughs> and of course they do the typical uh, family guy type of humor about it oh that's really impressive you know uh, can you make does it work with other fruit you know <laughs> right right where they age a banana like a month or something so it becomes this yeah, disgusting yeah. rotted mess yeah yeah and the, the lady scientist ends up in it and she ends ends up aging a hundred years or something and, and dies right so right and then, and then they introduced the protagonist which is what are they called again the they reminded me of the um oh do you mean the, the antagonist bad, the um yeah Sorry, the krill, yeah. The, the krill. Species, yeah. krill, what they called them in Galaxy Quest? I think it might have been something similar. And they definitely had that sort of flavor to them. They weren't quite as, I don't know, reptilian gruff, looking yeah. as, yeah. as yeah. Uh, and kind of swampy looking as the antagonists from Galaxy Quest are. But you can right, sort of right. tell that there were, even their spaceship design kind of reminds me a lot of, of that. So an homage is what I'll call it in that circumstance. Yeah, and they have the same sort of like, uh, I guess they have the same hiring criteria for, for the uh, krill um, army guys who are firing, you know, laser rifles at our at our, our crew as they run towards their space shuttle because none of them can hit a target, right? Just like <laughs> the guys in Star Wars, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. yet, you know, our, our heroes can you know nail nail them every time they, they fire off a shot, right? So a yeah, typical uh, typical sci-fi uh, bent, as it were. Yeah. So I mean, so what did you think? Like, if 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 you had only ever seen this one show and and you weren't planning on watching anymore, would, would you continue to watch in the series? Or would you just sort of put it on the back burner and think, well, maybe I'll, get the, I'll wait for it to come back to syndication or something? What do you think? So that's interesting because let me get, explain some of my answers. So normally I give a show that I'm going to try watching um, two or three episodes because I feel like the first episode for sure and potentially the second episode are kind of like the extended pilot piece where they're they're setting up the premise. And by the third episode, I expect to see some real promises like, all right, what is this show going to be like? Is, is it going to be worth watching? And so it's kind of hard to tell just from one episode. Episode. And as I mentioned earlier, I came in thinking it was going to be Galaxy Quest, and it's kind of more like Firefly, if you ask me, where it's serious drama, but actually pretty there. funny, too, is the intent. However, I do think that uh, they, they nailed the drama side of this aspect, but I feel like they need to up their game for the comedy aspect of the dramedy duology. Right. So would you watch it again? I think I will. I think I will watch the next episode um, and hope that they repair some of that, right? Because like, here's how I think I would have presented it um, if I was Fox. Like, I understand why Fox decided to go with the comedy side, but it also sort of kept me 
sort of off kilter for parts of the episode until I sort of absorbed it a little bit. I view it as imagine if you had the cast of Star Trek The Next Generation, but instead of being, you know, hoity toity, white collar, this is our noble mission sort of folks. Imagine if they were normal blue collar everyday people. And what would that work environment be like where, yeah, you know, we're in space, we're exploring that sort of, yeah, but it's still a job to them, right? Like, um, the one navigator, uh, mm-hmm. what is his name? Um, John Lamar, right? The first thing right. he asks the, the captain, which was, was played for comedy was, Oh, uh, the other captain used to let us have soda, uh, soda pop, you know, while I'm working. Can, can I continue to do that? Like, is that still okay? Uh, sure. Yeah. Wh- whatever. Fine. Right. Like if you've ever gotten a new manager at your, your job and you've right, had that initial right. thing like this, you're like, that's you know, the dumb yeah. kind of thing that people actually worry about and ask about, right? Like that's like legitimate yeah, everyday yeah. job stuff that would never have shown up on the next generation. So I think I would have presented this as like, what if the everyday guy and gal were in space and let's watch what that is. Right. Right. Yeah. It's funny. Like, that happens to me all the time at work. I was, I asked somebody about, I wanted, I wanted to look at a document that he'd created and, and uh, sort of said, Hey, can you send me a link to that document on the wiki that you created? And he's like, yeah, well, you know, I never got around to finishing the stuff and whatever. And I'm like, dude, I just want to copy your style. I don't want, I don't care what the content is. I just want to see what bits and pieces you use so I can, I can copy you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, Oh, okay. No problem. But like, he's getting very sort of defensive about why am I asking this question? You know, like you sort of have to, if you're, you have to sort of say, yeah, you're totally right about this whole thing. And then, and then what the other guy says, can I wear shorts now? Right. And, and the answer was still no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting show. I think it's, you know, for as special effects goes, you know, it's like, it's, I think it's, it's excellent, but over the top for the, for the show. Do you watch, um, I was going to ask you, do you watch Family Guy or, or American Dad or anything like that or at all? Um, not religiously, but I have seen many of their episodes and I'll, I'll watch it in the background of something, you know, while I'm doing something right. else. Yeah. Right? It, yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah, kind yeah. of easy to digest sort of comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a few things like that. Like, uh, to be honest with you, I don't, I don't watch the Simpsons either. I, I mean, I watched them when they were, before they were the Simpsons, I watched them and I watched maybe, I don't know, I don't even think I watched the first season and they've been on for what, 20 years now or something like that? The it's, it's more than 25, I think. I think they crossed really? that threshold yeah. a few years ago. So it's the longest running animated TV series for sure. And probably right, close yeah. to the, if not the number one longest running show period, right? Well, you gotta, you gotta watch some of those soap operas have been running for a long, long time, right? So mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's cat- categorization, like, <laughs> like days of our lives or something. Um, like one of those uh, older soap operas. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I think for me, the it's, it's kind of fun to, this show's fun, but I mean, there are some, um, some other shows that I, I just won't miss because like, like I find in compared to like dark matter, for instance, this is, this doesn't hold a candle. It's nowhere near compared to Firefly. You know, wash your mouth out, young man. So that wasn't a, a quality <laughs> comparison. That was a style, right? Like if, style, you, if yeah, you sit so. and watch an episode of Firefly and you start mapping out, you know, where does this fall in the spectrum between pure drama and pure comedy? Uh, it definitely leans towards the comedy side, true, right? It, it's way funnier yeah. than um, any of the Star Trek series. You know, just pick one. And in yeah. any random, even the fun, you know, quote unquote, funniest episodes, the ones that were played for laughs, never get to the intensity of, of humor and content that would go into a firefly right right it had mm-hmm. they had, you always had that sort of interplay between mccoy and spock and stuff like that but but you know but in firefly like one thing about firefly it's interesting for me um being an outsider is that um it's very like it's very much like a western so there's that that whole nostalgia for the american west right and then it's also got the fact that malcolm was a brown coat which was the low the the team that the, the sorry the the side in the war that lost um you know so there's, there's that whole sort of union versus the confederate kind of vibe going there 
there too. That that sort of is an undercurrent in that particular show. There's nothing, again, there's nothing in in the Orville that sort of ha- it doesn't have any sort of like winning formula in that sense. Like it's nothing, you know, it's it's too pretty in in a lot of ways. Um, the spe- I mean, the special effects are amazing. I mean, you know, you could just watch those over and over again, but they don't add to the story per se, right? Um, you know, the ship's kind of weird. You know, uh, I like to see the fact that that when at the end of the show, and again, spoilers for the people who haven't watched it yet, you're foolish for listening to us. But, um, you know, the fact that when they go back to the space dock at the end, uh, the ship's all smashed up from the, from the, the, the battle they had. Right. So, which is kind of realistic, I suppose. Right. Yeah. But, uh, I thought they were, I thought they were going to go real low with the, with the scene where the shuttle is, you know, flying towards the spaceship and they have to, they have to open the, the shuttle bay doors and, uh, you know, and, and capture this, uh, the, the shuttle, like, you know, cause it, cause the, the spaceship itself is, is whipping around in a big giant circle. Um, I thought they were going to get really crass there, but they didn't. <laughs> a a, you know a rare sort of obvious opportunity that they decided yeah. not to take, and that was that was yeah. interesting. I wonder if there's a director's cut where they had an alternative yeah, view. Yeah, of that. yeah. Well, knowing Seth MacFarlane and his and his like irreverence for for uh, for anything you know that like censors and stuff like that. Yeah, they might that might have been that might have been the censors cut. Who knows? I mean, maybe we're completely wrong. But I was totally that was a total setup. Like you know, if you'd seen the movie Ted, or you've seen you know the Family Guy or anything like that. Like you know, when mm-hmm. they kind of they they don't I mean they don't show stuff per se, but they don't hold bars. They do certainly do imply that things happening in in different scenes in those two in that movie. And the and I haven't seen Ted too, but I've seen Ted. I was actually surprised when I saw it; it was pretty good. So, but yeah. So yeah. and you know, it's kind of I think um, oh, I'll give this a seven maybe for this episode, seven out of ten. Yeah, I, I feel that's fair. There, when I look at the how did they do in terms of pilot episode, getting the premise out there, I, I think they did a reasonably good job. Um, passing grade, which a, a seven out of ten, a seventy percent would be. Um, yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, I think the the thing I would have liked to see that they didn't do enough of is I, I wanted to see more of uh, John Lamar, the the navigator who asked about the soda pop, and right, I feel like right. they completely missed. And hopefully, episode two that comes out, um, you know, the next week, I feel like they completely missed on giving us more for um, Isaac, the artificial life form. You mentioned uh, Lieutenant Ooh, Commander right. Data. He's kind of like Lieutenant Commander Data, but if he was intensely racist, which I think presents right, some opportunities because yeah, I've, yeah. I've rewatched um, uh, not every episode of uh, the seven seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation. I kind of went through and, and uh-huh. watched just the episodes that I knew were good. And there's plenty of occasions right, where I'm right. like, yeah, but the other people are intensely racist towards Data. Like, how how does he put up with oh, that? Right, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. It's yeah, like if he yeah. wasn't, you know, metal and you made him black or Asian or Indian or, or whatever, pick your particular minority, like nobody would think that was okay for people to do and say that things they say to him so right, i, I well, think there's an opportunity been, to explore that with this character true true in reverse because isn't didn't they say that that was his one of his flaws is he comes from a planet where they look down on humans right 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 yeah 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 so that'll be that'll be interesting thing to watch Actually, one thing, one thing I want to comment on before we, we actually do go is that mm-hmm. um, there was no transporter, right? Oh, no. dude. I, see, I, this is why I should have written some actual notes. You're right. I noticed yeah. that, too. I'm like, wait, well, let, let's, let's mention it next week, right? Let, let, let's, let's write some notes well, here. We, yeah. Or do you want to talk about it now? Okay, we can talk about it. This is going to be well, some, this an after show for the show. Um, sure, yeah. So if I understand the history correctly, the only reason there was a transporter in the original series was because they discovered it was too expensive to do a shuttlecraft 
aircraft landing every time. So it's right. like, oh, yes. uh, yeah, this kind of makes yeah. sense, right? And and this show doesn't have that, right? Because they actually do have the money to show that shuttlecraft CGI right, thing right, right. <laughs> going down and landing in, in some courtyard somewhere. Right. But then again, they, they also have the um, the uh, Galileo 7 is, I think it's one of the episodes, probably like in the first, it's in the first 20, because I think I'm on episode 16 or 17 right now. So I want to say maybe it's episode 12 or 13 or somewhere in there is an episode called Galileo 7 where Spock and a bunch of other guys, you know, they use the shuttlecraft and go down into this planet because it's because of the atmosphere they can't beam through. They can't see where the rocks or uh, impediments are. So they get in the Star Trek shuttle and they go down. And interestingly enough, you know, the AMC model makers, you know, the company that makes models, mm-hmm. AMC, right? They made the gal- the the shuttlecraft for Star Trek. I guess that's where they got the money for it, right? They made it for them as long as they had the rights to make the model of the of the um, of the the, the mm-hmm. Galileo Seven um, uh, shuttlecraft, right? Which is one of the, which is the name of the thing that gets destroyed at the end of that one. If you haven't seen that since the '60s, spoilers, shame on you. Yeah. So and 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 um and going back to what we were saying earlier about the the uh, the models, right? I think I had a Starship Enterprise model probably later, like after after the show had been canceled. But during while the show was still in the air, the only model I could get was the Klingon battlecruiser, which we were just talking about in the Atlantis of Troy episode, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the that's for me that was my first Star Trek model. So you know, so I have a soft spot for that particular uh, configuration of of uh, ship. I mean, I wasn't thrilled about the fact that I was just getting the lame old Klingon one, you know, but. It was better than nothing, but anyway, the point is they they those models were all made by AMC, and I'm pretty sure all the all the space um, like the lunar module and all that kind of stuff were also made by AMC as well. So yeah, interesting. So that's how they got the money to do it. But yeah, like no mm-hmm. shuttle, no, and they didn't close the door to the ship when they got off the ship, which I found really weird too. Right, like they just the door opened, they all walked off the ship, and they walked into the into the building and left the ship there with the, the door open. Like, what are they on a planet where there's no crime? <laughs> <laughs> that that is a common thing. I think you could find in in, in even becomes like the the premise of a Star Trek: The Next Generation episode. I think yeah, somebody like, yeah somebody must have like you know hi, 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 what do you call it uh, when you stow away in in the ship and then come up and wreak havoc and what have you right. So I mean I think I'd be more afraid of vandalism because you know yeah, as, as we're recording this the iPhone 10 was just um you know really well not released it was announced, uh, announced yeah. by Apple unveiled and, unveiled right? so yeah. you can imagine that a shuttlecraft would require some sort of biometrics to say oh yeah this is part of the crew versus, you know, some random joker yeah. that's there on, yeah. on uh, you know, Nancroft 9 or something. Right, right, right. And so, you know, and, and here's the thing, too, is like, I just, you just reminded me, reminded me of something. Again, this like no, tra- no transporter thing, thing. Did you notice that like nobody had, oh no, I guess it did. Nobody had an iPhone 7, or sorry, iPhone 10. Ugh. Nobody had an iPhone 10 in their hand on the stage, did they? Like when, when Chris Federer, Craig Federighi was doing his demos, he was using an iPhone 8, right? No, no, actually, no, it's not true. He was doing the face recognition thing, right? Yeah, I guess it depends on when, which part of the keynote you're talking about. At the about. very end there, where, do you remember where he picked up the one phone and then, yeah, we'll cut this from this part of the show, but <laughs> anyway, well, well, we'll say goodbye now, for real. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, we'll talk about this on the other podcast, which is going to record in like a few minutes, so. Mm-hmm. Come on over, people. Come listen to the other podcast, More Than Just Code. You'll enjoy that one, too. <laughs> All right. So, and scene. All right. So how how many more sleeps till uh, Discovery comes out? It's not till next week, right? Uh, it comes out the, or even more. Is it the twenty fourth? Twenty fourth. Twenty fourth. Opening a calendar here. So we're the thirteenth today. Twenty fourth is a Sunday, right? Yeah. So, so two so more Sundays more, as of this recording, right? So we get so we get one more uh, Orville episode on the seventeenth, and then we get uh, Happy Birthday to my sister, by the way, on the seventeenth, and uh, you get um, the Orville on the twenty fourth, right? So so uh, hopefully people are listening to the show, they'll. Uh, 
getting it on the 16th, I hope, and uh, they can listen to it after and fly right into the uh, other one there, right? So just a quick note before we go. Uh, so I had to use Tunnel Bear to watch the uh, Fox version because you know, there was no Canadian rebroadcasting on any sort of in inline thing that I could find. Oh, maybe it's on City. I should check there. because It's on our, it was, I think it was on City TV. And then, like I said, I tried to PVR it again on, on Tuesday for some reason and it didn't didn't record. Maybe because maybe it's on a TV channel that I have to pay for or something like that or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, trials and tribulations. All right, Jaime, so if people want to get a hold of you on the internet, where would they look? The best place is on Twitter. I am at Dev with the Hair. All right. And I think I said before, I'm Tim Mitra. I'm in Toronto, Ontario. I can be found on Twitter as T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. And that's it. And we'll see you guys in the future. Bye. See you in the future. Bye-bye. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spockcast website at spockcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spockcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpockCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash Spockcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. the J.J. Abrams thing? Yeah, so that's what I forgot I was going to mention earlier was that um, they just announced that today, I guess yesterday, to 12th, uh, that J.J. Abrams is going to write and direct the last episode of Star Wars 9, I guess it is, right? Mm-hmm. Or IX. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty, pretty cool. So I guess Ron Howard's doing the current one, right? I believe that's true for The Last Jedi. I think it was Ron Howard. I'd have to look it up, but... Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe the previous director of episode 9 was the director of Jurassic Park, or sorry, uh, Jurassic World. Is that correct? Uh, you mean before Ron Howard? No, no, for, for episode nine. The one that J.J. Abrams oh, you mean is somebody taking else? over for. Oh, the, the, he's out, is he? Okay, I don't know. Uh, let's see, what is it? Yeah, say? I think that's who it was. Uh, that might be one to fact check. Um, but in either case, it's uh, it's interesting that I guess there were creative differences between that director and Disney, and they decided to go in a different oh, direction. Really? And that's why they're mm. bringing back J.J. Abrams, who... Um, the guy they I know, think he, yeah. yeah, and I think he did a really good job with The Force Awakens. And I think the main concern that people have, and I think it's a fair criticism, is that even though I enjoyed the movie, I, you could tell that it, it stayed a little too close to um, A New Hope, right? It, it parallels that quite a bit. Um, right, to the benefit, yeah. of course, of feeling like, an, like a real Star Wars movie that um, I think the prequels kind of suffer from, that they feel a little off. And I think a lot of the criticism that's come of this uh, you know, choice for J.J. Abrams to do episode nine is based on that. And I think it will be a different environment because I think the pressure was so intense with, you know, this is the first Star Wars, you know, episode seven, The Force Awakens. That was the first Star Wars in like more than a decade. And they really, you know, with all the money that Disney spent to acquire Star Wars from uh, Lucas, I think they really wanted to make sure that they didn't drop the ball on it. And so I think they went just a little too safe as opposed to like Rogue One, which was like the complete opposite, right? Like they didn't play it safe at all. That was 
actually like a pretty, um, pretty gutsy sort of movie for them to create. And so I believe that, yes, we will see J.J. Abrams sort of isms, you know, because he's got his own particular style for, for writing and directing. But I don't think that you will see um, a movie that's going to be quite as close to one of the other movies, uh, because I don't think they will want to necessarily or need to necessarily play as safe as they did with The Force Awakens. I think The Force Awakens is an altogether different beast in terms of the, uh, you know, movie environment and business context that it was in versus episode nine, which will be uh, presumably riding the tails of a very successful episode eight, which in turn was riding the tails of a very successful episode seven. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, like uh, the, um, I know there was the sort of parallelism that, that happened between uh, Force Awakens and A New Hope. And that that has to do with, I mean, that's that thing we talked about with, with musical hooks and things like that, where um, you use things that people are comfortable with to, to create sort of familiarity with it, right? But the thing about it is that the reason why Star Wars itself, the first movie, works is because of the, it sort of uses that uh, Joseph Campbell um, myths and legends kind of story, right, or, or um, type of theory where, um, you know, like a lot of stories, like the story of, of, of Buddha and Alexander the Great and Jesus, you know, they all sort of follow that same sort of uh, thing. Harry Potter and and uh, and uh, A New Hope have a lot of parallels, too. Like you could literally take the same plot points and just map them all out. And you do the same thing with with Ray and uh, and her discovering the, the sword and and her destiny and that kind of stuff. And, and uh, so it, it, it was a familiar story. Like I, I, I know one person, one friend of mine who has not seen Star Wars. And I asked him to go see Rogue, or Force Awakens without having seen any of the other movies and to tell me what he thought about it. Right. Um, but yeah. So and I think that the like the Empire Strikes Back is is a different kind of movie than than A New Hope in, a, in the same sense. Right. So I think the second movie is going to be it's going to it's, it's sort of like I said, tell me a different story is what I was saying before about the rather than redoing, re, reworking or taking a new spin at, uh, at an old, old tried and true successful story. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not like New Hope was or sorry, uh, Force Awakens was like a remake of Star Wars. But then again, in some ways it was right. Um, or retelling. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Like, I don't know. I really I mean, uh, I'm hoping that that Star Wars eight isn't isn't hasn't got some so- sour spots or soft spots in it. Right. And how are they going to end this this uh, saga? Really, is what the, the question in nine is going to be, right? Um, like, where does it go? I mean, you would hope that, like, the whole promise of of a new hope is that you know this this um, uh, lost legendary Jedi Knight culture is going to somehow come back. I mean, but all we've got out of it so far is one guy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas before in in um, Revenge of the Sith, or even before that, there was a whole culture of of uh, Jedi's. I mean, there was all those kids in training that, you know, Anakin dispatched, right, in the third movie. But, um, yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, like, it's funny from the J.J. Abrams point of view, it's going to be like, you know, the, the I, always, I always joke about the fact there's going to be lots of lens flare and things like that. In, right. Because that's sort of his signature style, right? Um, you know, his his director trademarks. But, yeah, it's it's interesting to see. I guess it's sort of uh, it's it's a comfort thing, too, right? Like, you know, not not only comforting to Disney, but also comforting to, to me and to other Star Wars fans it seems, right? Because I, I sort of caught a bit of the buzz about this uh, earlier because I remember seeing something about somebody asking J.J. Abrams, you know, maybe at Comic-Con if he was thinking of doing Star Wars and he kind of like joked as if to say, no, he's not, right? So... Yeah, I think, I, I mean, because yeah. it's a natural question. It's like, well, why didn't, you know, why didn't he just do all three? And I think he stated at some point that uh, that would have taken a lot out of him, right? Like he put a lot into The Force Awakens and so he, 
like essentially wouldn't have survived. He probably would have burned out if he had spent the next several years doing all of them. Um, but now he's had a little bit of a break. So hopefully he's been refreshed and coming out of the force awakens. It seemed like he was kind of missing that, um, sort of opportunity to do another one. And I think this sort of fell into his lap based on, uh, you know, Disney falling out with the other director. So I think it's a win-win in that case. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's funny. I, I, th- I think I told you that at WWDC that he was doing the closing, uh, talk at, uh, the last time I was there in 2014, I think, right? When was the last there? Yeah, 2014. Um, was it 2014? Yeah, it must have been because, because yeah, we were, uh, was, uh, that was the year. You went in 2015, right? Yeah, but I do remember seeing J.J. Abrams. Are you sure it was in 2012? Was he there, mo- no, was he there no. multiple times in the last several years? I don't know about that, but he was definitely there for, it was there, it was the last, oh, no, maybe it was uh, the other guy. Maybe it was that the guy who did Rebel. Yeah, no, it was the guy who did Star Wars Rebel was there in 2014. Yeah, no, no. Anyway, so he was up there talking about, and he had clips of, of um, some stuff he was working on. I can't remember if he brought, I don't think he was working on Star Wars at the time because we would have mauled him, but um, oh, no, he was working on Star Trek, the redo of Star Trek at the time, right? With the new Christopher Pine and, and um, Zachary Quinto. Is that his name? Yeah, but that um, was a movie for 2009. Was he doing Star Trek Into Darkness? Oh, must have been, yeah, maybe, with with uh, Benedict, Benedict, the one with Benedict Cumberbatch, yeah. right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is that the one? Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, he was up there talking, and I remember at one point somebody asked him about, said, somebody said, can I ask a question about Lost? And he just sort of said, no, drop the mic and ran off the stage. Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> I guess he doesn't want to answer questions about that. But, but you know, and, and so that, that sort of, uh, you know, humble com- comedic sort of side to him comes out in his, uh, in his, uh, his work. I don't know if you've seen the behind the scenes stuff on the, on um, Force Awakens of him, you know, creating the, creating the, you know, doing the calls and all that kind of stuff that directors do. Right? No, I haven't. It sounds pretty, like pretty, I should. It, entertaining stuff. It's interesting, entertaining stuff. Yeah, it's pretty funny, you know. Um, yeah, because they talked to Simon Pegg about playing the uh, the guy he plays and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, and about, you know, the, the when Harrison Ford and Chewbacca walk onto the set, you know, kind of how the whole chem- the whole thing, the whole tempo changed for everybody, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's a, it's a, he's an interesting director. He's, he's I think he's, um, I'm not a big fan of all of his work. Like I, like I said, I didn't, I didn't really get into, I watched the first couple of episodes of Lost and never really got into it. Um, and he's done, uh, didn't he do some, he did some of the Mission Impossibles too, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Um, which one did he do? Was it like Ghost Protocol or something? His, or maybe, yeah. And and his bad robot uh, brand that uh, the stuff that he does under that, or the stuff the work that gets done on that brand, is is all really interesting stuff, really good, good entertaining stuff, right? So mm-hmm. he seems to have a good pulse as an American director of what makes people happy to see, right? So that's the promise of having J.J. Abrams <laughs> direct Star Wars Nine, right? Or XI, IX. <laughs> yeah. So that's it. That's all I want to say about J.J. Abrams. That's pretty cool news. Yeah, definitely. So you were saying Disney's moving away from Netflix or, no, sorry, Disney's pulling their content off Netflix because they're going to go to their own It thing, would right? be somewhat misleading to call it pulling because that kind of implies that they're like oh. breaking a contract or something. They're essentially right, not right. renewing a contract, which which oh, okay. leaves, um, well, the Star Wars series in, in limbo because I think mm. the contract ends before for the last Jedi would be available for streaming and mm-hmm. definitely leaves out whichever Marvel movies end up around the same time that the contract ends. So that's, it's the sort of thing where, you know, there's only so many different streaming providers. Well, let me not even, let me back off. There are only so many different um, companies that could handle something like, you know, can we create a streaming service that people will want to use? Right. So um, to a lesser extent, Amazon and Netflix 
are, they're still largely providing streaming access to other people's stuff, right? They do have their own original content, don't get me wrong, but if you looked at the percentage-wise, um, even though it's a growing percentage, it's still a very small percentage, right? There are only a handful of shows and movies they have that are their own versus like the bazillion episodes of TNG and all these 70s things and, you know, so on and so forth. And when you look at somebody like a Disney, like they have essentially nothing but their own content. They have tons of content that people want to pay a premium for, right? There's, uh, of course, the traditional Disney stuff, their movies and, and animation and everything else. They've got the Marvel series that they uh, acquired. They've got uh, Star Wars they've acquired. They have a lot of gems and jewels that they can use as uh, incentive for people to subscribe to either yet another streaming service or to their streaming service in lieu of another one. So th this will be an interesting battle, I think, to see how that sort of plays out. Yeah. Hmm. Well, looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to the, the Ron Howard version. I like Ron Howard's work too. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he's done some interesting work like with the uh, Backdraft and uh, the... Apollo 13, I thought was what yeah, you were going to mention. Apollo 13. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Apollo 13. Yeah, for sure. That's one of my one of my, one of of my my keepers. I have a copy of that somewhere. And uh, yeah, no, he's done some good stuff. So sure. All right. On that note, I guess we'll uh, call it a day because it's, again, real late for me. Yeah. So. Yeah. All, All right. right. Have a good one. <laughs> okay. Talk, talk to you later. later. Bye-bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.